Today is Monday, January 22nd, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A major contender's dropping out of the 2024 presidential race. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me now to get through the news of the cray here on this Monday morning, Billy Hallowell. Billy, happy Monday. What's up? Happy Monday. We're, we're here. It's another week. I'm excited. We recovered from the March for Life, which we live streamed for much of the day on Friday. And uh, what a turnout there. We'll be talking a little bit more about that coming up, but an incredible turnout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I've seen numbers as high as 100,000, but it's tens of thousands of people and they brave the cold and the snow, which yeah. is wild. I was surprised that it was that high. I mean, you could see it on the stream. There were so many people. It looked every bit of as strong as a normal March for Life crowd. And despite the weather, it was really, really cold and snowy and slushy and icy. So uh, incredible turnout. We'll talk about that in a few minutes here coming up. Uh, also in the focus story, you're talking uh, to uh, David Curry or talking about David, your conversation with David Curry uh, about global persecution. Yeah, he's got a new uh, database essentially for how to track it. So we'll get into why he's working on that and how people can use it. Important to keep the focus there. And on the main thing, Iran, what is the theology driving their intense hatred for Israel and their desire to wipe them off the map? CBN's Gary Lane explores that with Dale Hurd coming up on the main thing. We're going to get to all that and more, but first, we shall get through the news here in 90 seconds. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has announced ahead of New Hampshire's primaries that he's dropping out of the race for president and he endorsed former President Trump after he made the announcement. The decision leaves Trump and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley as the last major candidates remaining in the race ahead of tomorrow's New Hampshire primary. This is the scene that Trump's opponents in the GOP have hoped for, raising the stakes in this week's contest as now it's just basically one-on-one -on -one Trump versus Haley. DeSantis acknowledged strong support for voters uh, from voters for Trump and attacked Haley on his way out. He said, it's clear to me that the majority of Republican primary voters uh, want to give Donald Trump another chance. He continued and said, I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. And Donald Trump said, I just want to thank Ron and congratulate him on doing a very good job. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. And I look forward to working with Ron. And he described him as a really terrific person. And the March for Life 2024, as we mentioned, happened on Friday with little fanfare from the national media. The theme was for uh, was with every woman for every child and focused on the holistic approach to the pro-life movement. Benjamin Watson was among the big names that were there. He said, Roe is done, but we still live in a culture that knows not how to care for life. He said, Roe is done, but the factors that drive women to seek abortions are ever apparent and ever increasing. Roe is done, but abortion is still legal and thriving in a, it, too much of America. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out more stories over at cbnnews.com. And uh, we'll touch on the race here in a second, Billy, but quick wanted to talk about a little more on the march. I mean, what an incredible 
not not just turnout. I mean, as we mentioned, that was indeed incredible because of the weather. But we have, and you can find on CBN News where we have some of the interactions that we had. What incredible testimonies and and stories there were on the March for Life. I, I was glancing through the media, Billy, and you know, there's a couple stories here and there. NPR talked about um, the quote-unquote anti-abortion activists that met on Friday. They don't mention the large crowd size and all of that. Um, but the testimonies that were there and the things people were saying, I mean, I, I specifically recall the, the two women we talked to that had abortions and talked about the importance of, of life and what their experience was and how negative it was and how horrible it was and the lies they were told along the way, really powerful stuff. And I think it underscores really, you know, the constant lies that the media and that others are telling, you know, it's either a lie of omission or this claim that women aren't impacted by abortion, that men aren't impacted yet. You have, you know, tens of thousands of people flocking and many of them, as you said, sharing their experience of, of what they've gone through and, and what's happened to them and how abortion has negatively impacted their lives. You know, we we don't hear that in the, in the media. So it's pretty incredible that you have this event where the truth is just put out there in a way we don't often see. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd encourage you, if you missed it, go check out the live stream. I'll put the link here in the description to this podcast episode. Uh, you got the full stream there. Trey, it was actually walking the march along with Madison Seals. So it's basically the whole quick start team there. And uh, they were on the ground and it was really great coverage. So uh, if you miss it, you want to check it out, go ahead and, and look at that. I, I encourage you because the stories are just incredible. They really were. And so were the speakers and some of the stories they shared for that first part during the the stage program. Really, really powerful stuff. I encourage you to check it out. All right. Got to touch on the election here. And Ron DeSantis ending the campaign before sh surely he would have liked to, but he just didn't have the traction he obviously was he came in second in, in Iowa, but it was not, he was not polling well at all in New Hampshire and South Carolina. And so it was going to be an uphill battle. Trump is just so far ahead in first place anyway. It was going to essentially if uh, if if it was going to really be a decision as far as is it going to get close or not? Someone either DeSantis or Haley had to move out of the way and DeSantis looked to be the weaker of the two as far as the polling went. So he backed down, and now it is a two-person race between Haley and Trump. And it was uh, interesting to see DeSantis throw his hat into the ring with Trump. But uh, here we are, and you know Trump is in a very strong position going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody has endorsed Nikki Haley, I feel like. All, all these right. candidates have dropped out, and they've even, I mean, so, Tim Scott was good friends with her by all accounts, I assumed, um, and did not endorse her. So, you know, you have a situation where unless there's some sort of, you know, intervent, divine intervention at this point right. and, and the part of, you know, for Nikki Haley, she's probably not going to be the candidate. And try, it really does look like Trump is going to be the candidate. Uh, but again, you know, we can't call it this soon. We'll have to wait and see, but it's... Right. Uh, it's crazy, though, that, you know, in, in January here, we're not even at the end of January, this race with so much contention and legal battles and all that is, you know, it looks like it's almost over on the Republican side. Yeah. And we, we haven't even said, like you said, all the legal stuff that's coming that we'll have to see how all that shakes out. And which, of course, all these indictments just seem to make Trump stronger. It didn't hurt him at all in the standings. It actually propelled him and gave people, I think, a little more incentive to see that see Trump as a victim in what they feel is political targeting. You have the sitting president of the United States and the DOJ going after 
the front runner for the GOP with all of these indictments. And I think that's how that has been received by the American public, at least on the right. They view that as a political attack and they came out very strongly in favor of Trump here. And the polls have been that way and the, and the results have showed that so far. So uh, we'll obviously keep on it. Uh, on all the details going on, New Hampshire coming up, it's expected to be, I mean, that'll be Nikki Haley's best performance just because New Hampshire, the way it is and the way it's, uh, you know, structured for their primary. But beyond that, Trump's got a, and he's even got a lead there, but he's got a commanding lead elsewhere. And it should be, like you said, aside from some dramatic event, it should probably be announced and eventually whittled down to Trump versus Biden here very, very soon. So, uh, Stay tuned to CBN News for all the details on that. We'll be covering it with our chief political analyst, David Brody, and uh, our, our uh, D.C. correspondent, uh, Matt Galka, and more. So we are uh, on top of that over at CBNNews.com. All right. We are going to head over to the focus story now. And as global persecution rages, a watchdog has launched a first-of-its-kind open-source database to track incidents of violent religious persecution. So tell me about this. Yeah, this is this is interesting. Global Christian Relief has teamed up with the International Institute for Religious Freedom and they've created this violent incidents database and it's basically being dubbed the first um o- the first and only events-based global religious freedom data set. And so, you know, what does that mean? Essentially, they're tracking all of the different events that would impact Christians, the persecuted church across the world in this one place. You can go and actually search this database by country and see what is actually happening. You know, see the numbers of attacks and assaults that are unfolding. This is something that, um, again, being spearheaded by Global Christian Relief, David Curry is the CEO of that organization. He used to be with Open Doors USA. Um, He now has this new group. And so this is a big project for them. And I think, you know, really interesting project opening up really a lens into what's happening around the globe. Yeah, really interesting. What did Curry say about you know, his motivation behind creating this database? Because there there are organizations like his and others who are tracking this stuff. So what did he feel like why this was important? You know, he said, look, he is concerned about the enormous growth that we're seeing in religious persecution, especially when it comes to Christians. He said Christians are the largest minority group. And I think that when when Christians in the West hear that, it feels strange because, you know, there are just people all over the place calling themselves Christians. Yeah. More than half of the country here does. But yet around the world. You know, believers really are the largest minority group. And so he said that that's concerning him. Rising anti-Semitism um, has been very concerning. And he warned that there are a lot of governments around the world and dictatorships and extremists who want to control people's religious inclinations. They want to stop people from believing um, in the truth, particularly, obviously, um, when it comes to Christianity. And so with all of those concerns, and he talked about some of the different things, by the way, this is going to track killings, abductions, forced marriages, arrests, and all sorts of other types of persecution. But he said his big motivation, he said, look, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to support the church and persecuted believers to practice their faith and worship Jesus and, and to be able to read their Bibles. So you know, his hope is to be able to use this in, in that way to inspire people, not only to have that freedom, but to, to really know and understand what exactly is happening around the globe and how bad it is. What's one caveat about this uh, violent incidents database you can explain on expand on? <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so the first thing is they've started with data from 2022. So because this is new, you're not going to get data from before that. But one of the things, and this comes up a lot because other organizations like Open Doors, we just covered their world watch list, which, you know, told us that almost 5,000 Christians were killed around the world, um, you know, last year. When you look at this data, it's not exhaustive. He said it's, you know, David Curry said it's impossible to capture every single incident. Um, a lot of these countries, you know, there are intense barriers to collecting. So they're doing their best to be on the ground. I mean, think about North Korea, right? You know, whatever numbers we have from North Korea, it's only a sliver of the deaths and persecution that are actually happening, right? So so there's a lot of there's a lot of struggles in capturing the data. So the, the biggest thing is that it's not exhaustive and you got to keep that in mind. So basically to summarize, the problem is a lot worse than whatever you're pulling up and seeing in this data yeah. database. Yeah, really, really uh, concerning, obviously. Uh, something we need to be praying about for sure. What's the hope? Um, that he has for the impact of this. Yeah, I mean, they're look, they're they're working with researchers, academics to get this database put together. The big hope he said was to inspire Christians to learn more about the different types of persecution and to wake up. And I think that's a powerful term. You know, wake up. The church needs to understand that we need to be we need to be praying for and supporting the persecuted church across the world. You're not just talking about it, but finding ways to actively um, support it. And prayer is one of those big ways. And we've got the link, by the way, if people want to check the database out um, over on Faithwire and CBN News, they can they can go and actually do some searching on their own and see the types of reports that are out there in the different countries where uh, these acts of persecution are happening. All right. And I'll put the link here in the description of this podcast episode as well to hopefully make it convenient for you to go check that out. Appreciate you bringing that story here today on the podcast, Billy, and putting it on our attention. We certainly, as I mentioned, need to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. All right, we are going to head out over to the main thing now. And why does Iran hate Israel so much? We know about this hatred. We hear their language saying they want them wiped off the map. Well, why do they want them wiped off the map? Well, there's a deep theology behind that hatred. CBN's Dale Hurd and two Islamic experts explain the theology behind Iran's plan to create a new Middle East. He explained on CBN's Global Lane with host Gary Lane. That's today's main thing. Iran has been indoctrinating its fighters throughout the Middle East in the belief that Israel is the biggest obstacle to the return of the Mahdi and that there must be an apocalyptic war that destroys both Israel and Jews around the world. Islamic expert Raymond Ibrahim. So the Mahdi, as, as an English speaker would pronounce it, it's really Mahdi, which basically means guided. So he's the guided one, or in Islamic understanding, he's the rightly guided one. And he takes on different guises, depending on which sect of Islam you ask, Sunni or Shia. Sunnis, the majority of the world's Muslims, believe the Mahdi has not yet been born. The Prophet said hadith is in Abu Dawood. A man shall come towards the end of times. His name will be my name. And the name of his father will be the name of my father. Meaning Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Shia Islam, which is dominated by Iran, teaches that the Mahdi is already alive and has been hiding for over a thousand years. Brother Rashid, a former Muslim, hosts a Christian program for Muslims called Daring Questions. The Shia Muslims, especially the Twelver Shiism, they believe that he is the twelfth Imam and he was born around 868 
So he just disappeared. He's still alive until today. His age is 1155, if you want to. So he's still living somewhere. And um, one day he will show himself. Muslims in Iran believe the Mahdi is hiding in this well in the mosque of Jamkaran. Pilgrims peer down the well with flashlights, leave prayer requests for the Mahdi and hope he will reappear. Muslims believe that when the Mahdi returns, he will be accompanied by Jesus, known in Islam as the Prophet Isa, to rid the world of evil. Iranian leaders have seized upon belief in the final battle before the Mahdi's return to motivate its military and allies to fight harder to destroy Israel. And a lot of the you know, Islamic schools or jihadists are being indoctrinated by, by Iranian propaganda in, in Mahdism. And again, it always centers around Israel and attacking and destroying Israel. Some believe in the next phase of its plan to wipe out Israel, Iran might initiate a multi-front attack through its heavily armed proxy armies in Lebanon, Syria and Iraq. Ibrahim and Brother Rashid say the doctrine of the Mahdi's return means that any attempts by Israel to make peace with the Muslim world will ultimately prove to be futile. Israel is a threat to Muslims, to the Mahdi, to the coming of the Mahdi Saudi, they have to be eliminated. There is no, no other solution. So I don't think Israel could ever have permanent peace unless Islam were to completely change itself and become not Islam, to be something completely different. And Ibrahim worries that Iran might be willing to use a nuclear weapon against Israel to ensure the return of the Mahdi. Dale Hurd joins us to provide some additional insights. So Dale, if religious belief and the hastening of the return of the Islamic Mahdi are the motivation for Iran's actions, what's the solution? Yeah, it probably involves weapons and a lot of money. It's interesting that a, Palesti a former Palestinian refugee camp occupant, uh, a guy who was in one of the Lebanon camps, you know, we were talking about this and he said that the problem with Gaza, the problem with all of this is Islam. And that sounds really simplistic until you go to this and you see that uh, there is evidence that the Mahdi idea, the Mahdi doctrine was the idea behind the Gaza attack and could be the idea now behind a multi-tiered attack against Israel. Well, traders expect the price of oil to reach about $110 per barrel this spring because of ongoing tensions in the Red Sea region. So is there more than just the ushering in of the Mahdi motivating Iran here to create this mayhem in the Middle East with the Houthis attacking uh, shipping? There's certainly that. I also think that they're using the Houthis because Iran knows their military is not very good and they would get flattened in a direct confrontation with the United States. It doesn't help that this administration has been giving Iran a hug in the form of, you know, trying to free up their money and so forth. It's only encouraged their belligerence. But yeah, they, they want to keep this up. And I think the only way there will be peace in the Middle East, at least in that region, is when the Iranian government is neutralized. Well, let's talk about that. You've been reporting on this for a long time. So what do you see happening in the days ahead? A broader war with other Iranian proxies like Hezbollah in Lebanon, the uh, militias in Iraq and Syria, even Iran itself? And 
I think Iran will do all it can to prolong or prevent a direct war with the United States or NATO nations or Britain because, I mean, they're still, they're still showing F-4 phantoms from the Vietnam War in some of their military promotional videos. Their military is, I think, very uh, under-equipped and inept. Um, and, but, and so they're going to go to these proxy forces that people may not know they have in several nations. They have proxy armies in Iraq, in Yemen, in Syria, of course, in Lebanon. And as I have mentioned, people fear a multi-tiered attack scenario in which each of these armies take a crack at Israel. Okay, Dale Hurd, thanks for your insightful report and those additional thoughts. Right, Gary and Dale, thanks so much for that report there. Really uh, insightful information to get an idea of what is going on and why. So you look at this and you think, man, it's crazy that they just want to wipe them off the map. What is the deal? Well, there is uh, something driving that, and they touched on it there. And so appreciate you bringing that information to the podcast today, Gary and Dale. All right, that's going to leave us with time on this Monday pod for one last thing. We've got Psalm 16.8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's just a good verse for all of us, no matter what we're facing, particularly even talking about persecution and what uh, believers around the world struggle with. So a good reminder. Absolutely. Certainly is. Always a good spot to leave it there with scripture on our podcast. And this Monday edition is no different. So appreciate that. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we're going to return here tomorrow with more. Make sure you get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Have a fantastic rest of your Monday, everybody. God bless.